Thank you for listening in today to our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. And now Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Again, being brought up, not brought down, he's being brought up. And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets or dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Wow. Most Orthodox commentators are almost unanimous in the opinion that the departed prophet did really appear to Saul, did really appear to Saul. And then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? There, there are different wordings here of, of the word enemy here. I know the Septuagint says, has become on the side of your neighbor. The Latin Vulgate says, has passed over to thy, thy rival. It's basically here to say, why are you even talking to me when you know that God is against you? And you're coming to me to, to, to try and find out what it is that you should do? You know what you should do, Saul? You should repent. You should just cry out to the Lord and you should just repent. But he doesn't do that. At least I don't think he does that just yet. And that's another time for a discussion. Verse 17, the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, given it to your neighbor, David. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And here's another reason. Go to 1 Chronicles 10. We are told here in verse 13, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Here's another reason this is being torn away. It just gets worse for him. It doesn't matter what he does. It's going to be added to the list of things. This is why you're just playing out what's in your heart and you're just revealing to everybody what's in your heart. And so what's in your heart is you're willing to even consult a medium. If I say no, I'm not going to speak to you. You can't even receive that. And you're going to try and force my hand? Really? Wow. And he says, because, in verse 18, going back to 1 Samuel 28, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore God has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with who? Me, Samuel. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And immediately saw fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. So what is he doing? He's fasting. He's doing other things and he knows what to do. The word fell means made haste, fell with fullness of his stature. Um, he's exhausted because he's been fasting. And so it says, and the woman came to Saul saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has observed 
has obeyed your voice. I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant. And let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. That's a good thing. That's a good thing right there. I will not eat. And I would tell you, this is why you should not eat. Because eating suggests fellowship. That's why. And you should have no fellowship with darkness or those who practice such things. I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him. And he heeded their voice. Wow, what a surprise. Then he rose from the ground and sat on the bed. Just so you know, uh, um, in in, uh, dwelling places like that, a lot of times they would have like about... 30 inches or so that ran against the wall. And so that could be used for a bed at night as well as a seat during the day with a table. And so that is the thought that is what's happening there. It's not as though he's in her bedroom or anything like that, but it could be used as a place for seating against the wall uh, with a table in front of it, or at night it could be used as a bed. And so because it uses the word bed there, they're saying that this is probably taking place uh, late afternoon. Now it's evening time by the time this is over with. And so... It goes on and it says, Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it and she took flour, kneaded it, baked unleavened bread from it. I think that's very interesting. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate and they rose and went their way that night. This is a terrible commentary on Saul here. He's just been rebuked by Samuel for not listening to the voice of the Lord and here instead he listens to a witch and his servants to eat. Uh, It should remind us to the time back in Eden when Adam also listened to the voice uh, of the woman to eat. And so Saul eating with this woman, this medium, this witch, is a good example of what it is to eat at the table of demons. Because in 1 Corinthians 10.20, Paul tells us, rather, that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Saul has no business with this woman. And especially after seeing Samuel, he should realize, I just need to leave. And I need to go repent and say, okay, Lord, if I have to die tomorrow, then so be it. But I want to die with a good conscience and and just be right before you. And I know that your will is going to be done. Forgive me for consulting with the medium. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Samuel made it very clear. It's because of my disobedience back then. I'm going to ask forgiveness for that. There's all sorts of things he could have done. But instead, he eats. And he has no business fellowshipping with this woman. And it doesn't seem to bother him that he's receiving anything from her. Why? Because he has no fellowship with God. And so he shares in this counterfeit Passover meal of sorts. He's going to be eating unleavened bread, just like at the Passover, just like at the Exodus. Why unleavened? Because we don't have time. It's made in haste because you now have to get up and leave and get out of the land of Egypt. It's a preparation for a quick exit out of Egypt. And Saul's going to exit all right. He's going to exit out of this world is what he's going to do. Now, let me ask you this. Where did Saul go after he died? Well, according to verse 19 here, he's going to go to the place where Samuel is, he and his sons. Now, there's two thoughts to this, and I'm not beholding one to another. I have one that I hope, 
But the place where Samuel is is known as Sheol, the grave. Okay, It's the place where the dead go. But as I've taught before, there's a place in Sheol for the unrighteous dead, and there's a place for the righteous dead. And we see that in Luke 16, and there's a chasm between them. So one can't cross over. So the thought is is that the place where Samuel is is in Sheol, even though he's in the section of the righteous dead. And so the argument is made is that that, um, if, if Saul is not saved, if Saul is not going to spend eternity with God, he is still going to the same place of, as Samuel. He's going to the place of the dead. But he's going to be on the side of the unrighteous dead. It's a possibility. I don't know. I don't have to make that judgment. I praise God for that. But there are those who also believe that if he and his sons are going to the same place, it could be the same thing. It's the place of Sheol where Samuel is. But Jonathan and Samuel will be in the place of the righteous dead and that Saul would be in the place of the unrighteous dead, or those who think, no, he's going to be with Samuel, and to just be in the place of Samuel isn't the same as being with Samuel, and so that is speaking of he's on the place of the righteous dead. Your call. But I would say this. I believe that there are some things that happen in chapter 30 and in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 1 where there is definitely some time for Saul to cry out to the Lord when he was dying. And I have no idea what he said in his last breaths. And my hope and desire is, is he cried out to the Lord. That's what my hope and desire is. Now, going down here to chapter 29. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. Now, chapter 28 and 29 are not in chronological order. Okay, uh, we know this because Samuel tells Saul that he and his sons are going to die tomorrow. Okay, well, in 1 Samuel 28, 4, it says the Philistines gathered together. Where did they do this? In Aphek? And then what? rest of verse 7 says, and they came and encamped at Shunem. Well, we're told here that they gathered together in, in chapter 29, verse 1, in Aphek. But in chapter 28, verse 4, we show them encamped in Shunem. And that's about 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 miles away from each other. Now, um, I, you know, I have on here show slide because I meant to shoot uh, Frank a slide that I have in my computer and I forgot to do that. But if you look at the land of Israel, um, they're both going to the, uh, to the north about 50 miles is Gibeah to Mount Gilboa, where they are, and from Aphek to go to, uh, um, to, go to uh, Shunem is about 45 miles. They all go parallel with each other, but what's in between them is a lot of mountains and rugged terrain. So that's why they go and meet where? That's the Valley of Jezreel. This is where they're going to fight. And so when chapter 29 is taking place, they're still at Aphek. This is where they're gathering their army. This is where this event takes place. And so after they gather armies, they go to this place, Shunem, which is in verse 4 of chapter 28. And so this is why I said it really is better to use the very first two verses when it comes to chapter 29 because it, it builds up to what's going on here. And so uh, Endor is about seven miles from where Saul was camped, and uh, Gibeah to Mount Gilboa is about 50 miles. Aphek to Shunem is about 45 miles. 
And so when we read 1 Samuel 28, verse 1 and 2, and then 1 Samuel 29, it, it fits together a whole lot better of what's going on here. So going back to 1 Samuel 28, 1, it says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You surely know that you will go out with me to battle you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I'll make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now, I'll say this when I encapsulate this in the end, but there are those who think that David is actually planning to turn on the Philistines when they go into battle. And so when he says to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do, it's kind of like, just you watch. Because when I'm in battle, I'm going to turn and I'm not actually going to fight my own men. There are those who think that. Okay, I'm saying it's a possibility. It's not where I come from, but it is a possibility. Verse 1 of chapter 29. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. Endor um, actually means fountain of dwelling. So uh, again, we already know that they're, 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 they're uh, encamped over there waiting for the Philistines to come. Uh, and it says in verse 2, And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. And then the princes of the Philistines says, what are these Hebrews doing here? Notice that he qualifies them as Hebrews. Hebrews should not be with the Philistines. It's obvious. These Hebrew men, they worship a different God. What on earth are they doing here with us? And so Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, is this not David? the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years, and to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the prince of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go to the place which you have appointed for him, which was Ziklag, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in battle he becomes our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? And is not David of whom they sang to one another in the dances saying, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands? They don't trust David. They look at it and go, wow, what a perfect opportunity for him to go out and battle with us. But then in the heat of the battle, all of a sudden he turns on us, and then he starts to destroy us in order to build himself in favor and in good light again with Saul. It's a good, clever scheme if you ask me. And there are those who believe that that's exactly what David was planning to do. And I would say that's a possibility. I'm not sold on it, but it's a possibility. So, verse 6, Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. And you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. Therefore, return now, go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now, I find this interesting. When Achish uses the term, as the Lord lives, the word Lord there is Yahweh. Now, there are also those who believe that maybe Achish has embraced the God of David. That is a possibility. Later on, when... Um, 
and I can't remember exactly where this is, so I'll have to look this up for next time, and I'll, I'll make sure I have this. But th- there's an area um, where the Philistines are going to be judged and their curse, and every um, one of their cities is mentioned except for Gath. And the, the understanding there is because if Achish came to know the Lord, his God, and because of the favor that he bestowed to David, that there's a little bit of favor that is coming from the Lord there as well. But it's very interesting that Gath isn't mentioned there. So, and I'll start the next uh, um, study with that because uh, I just don't have it with me right now. And so, so in verse 8 it says, So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king. And again, there'll be those who would say that when he's actually saying my lord the king, it was just a subversive way of speaking of Saul. And so he wasn't necessarily saying that Achish is his lord, his king. I don't buy that one personally, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. And then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you're up early in the morning, have light, depart. So David and his men arose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So, um, there's a couple things that I look at here. And I can um, look at as how this happens to us from time to time. I always try and look at this and try and say, okay, how can I bring this into my own personal life? How is this something that can practically speak to me? And I got to tell you something, there's a huge warning flag here for every Christian, for every believer, that you could be exactly like David. You could find yourself in the wrong camp. And you have to ask yourself how you got there to begin with. And it's usually incrementalism. It's usually just taking a liberty here and there. And the next thing you know, you're in the wrong camp. And you know what's interesting to me? It's people in that camp, where you shouldn't be anyway, are the ones that actually point it out to you. Isn't it interesting that David should not have been there with the Philistines in their camp willing to go to war against Israel. He should not, as of chapter 27, as we taught before, he should not have gone into the land of the Philistines. That was wrong. That was sin. God had provided for him and protected him while he remained in the land. But as we talked about, that when you have this peace, because you look at it and go, I'm, I'm weary, I don't want to fight this battle anymore, and so you go to the path of least resistance, which was going to the land of the Philistines, David had peace for a while. But now he's not going to have that much peace in the sense that now he has to think about, I'm going to be going fighting against my own people. But then God intervenes and says, no, go back. But as he goes back, he has a momentary peace of probably going, well, at least I didn't have to fight my own people. But then when he goes back to Ziklag, as he's going to find out, as we'll find out in chapter 30, the Amalekites came. And they took away his wife, both wives, his wives, took away all the children and the wives of the other men, took away all their sustenance that they had. And so he came back to an empty place. And Ziklag was burned to the ground at that point. Do you think he had peace at that point? He had no peace. He had no peace. He had a temporary peace when he first went into the land of the Philistines. There's no question about it. And while he was in that land, he actually had the Philistines themselves say, are these not Hebrews? 
didn't you guys know that you were Hebrews? What are you doing with the Philistines? Have you ever found yourself in the camp of unbelievers? And then one of those unbelievers are the ones that have a higher standard for you than you do? And they say, aren't you a Christian? What are you doing here? Aren't you a Christian? What are you doing watching this movie with us? I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing sleeping with him or her? They have a higher standard for what you've told them your faith is than than you do. You're in their camp. Aren't you a Christian? What are you coming to happy hour with us for after work? You've never done that before. Aren't you a Christian? You're in their camp. And they're thinking it's an odd thing. We know you're a Christian. What are you doing over here? They have a higher value or standard of what you're supposed to be than you do. And you become ashamed at that. I've been called out for that before, several times, in my early walk with the Lord. And I remember how humbled I felt by that. What are you doing here? Christian? I was kind of hoping you wouldn't notice. Pretty sure that's what David was thinking. Hope they don't call me for being a Hebrew. Hope they don't call me because I'm supposedly a man of God. Hope they don't call me out because... And yet the world will do that. The Bible makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians 6, says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what is fellowship has with righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I dwell in them. I walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. David is yoked with the Philistines, willing to go to war with them. And David is a lot like us that we sometimes find ourselves in the enemy's camp. We're in the wrong camp with the wrong company. Just like 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts what? Good habits or morals. We have no business being over there. No business whatsoever. I find it interesting that, yet through all this, God never abandoned David. He's a work in progress. And he's failing in different areas, but God is still there. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Thank you, Lord, for that. That you're still walking with us. But David is definitely in a place that he should not be. He shouldn't be there. And when he goes back to Ziglag, his greatest horror is going to be upon him. His whole family's gone that he brought over to Ziglag to keep them safe. All of his other men's family, they're all gone as well. As we'll see, they are so upset with David, they're going to want to stone him. And then the most precious words jump off the page. David sought the Lord. Because that's what it took. This is what his decision-making brought him. But the neat thing about David is, is that he, did, he saw that and he sought the Lord. Saul could have done that any step of the way. He could have truly have sought the Lord. He could have just repented and he could have sought the Lord. He didn't do that. I just want to really caution you in your walk with the Lord that if you find yourself in the enemy's camp, I think after hearing this study especially, you're going to hear someone call you out on it. And it should be a real eye-opener. 
go, man, how did I get to this place? And all it takes is the same thing as we see in Revelation. Return to your first love. That's what Jesus told the uh, church of Ephesus. You do all these great things, but somehow you meandered off the trail. Return to your first That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.